0: Welcome to Beyond Conventional Marketing, a marketing leader's guide to digital consumer experiences. You're about to hear an episode full of insights from marketing leaders to help you build meaningful moments and relevant digital experiences for your consumers. Join us as we hear from marketing leaders about their experiences with data and personalization, digital marketing trends, and expert advice on how to grow your business and connect with consumers. Let's get started.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Conventional Marketing. I'm your host, Anushka Lokesh. My guest today is David Cost, who is the VP of Marketing and E-Commerce at Rainbow Shops. Hi, David. How's it going?
2: I'm good. How are you?
1: I am good. Where are you calling from today?
2: So today I'm in outside of Philadelphia. Normally I'm in Brooklyn, New York.
1: Oh, that's nice. Is it oddly warm there too? <laughs>
2: We are having a crazy, warm, rainy day today, I think tomorrow, and then it's going to get cold on Monday.
1: I know. I I live in Toronto, and it's like exactly the same. It's freakishly warm today, but also raining, but also getting dark at 4.30 p.m. It's very confusing. Right. (laughs) All right. Well, before we start off uh, with our conversation today, I would love if you could introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your background.
2: Sure. So, so I'm responsible for everything digital marketing and e commerce at Rainbow Shops. To give you some background on Rainbow, we've got a big brick and mortar footprint. We operate about 1,100 brick and mortar stores as well as our online presence. Kind of describe Rainbow as it's kind of like a TJ Maxx everyday low price format with Forever 21 Fashion Nova Shein kind of clothing. So, we, still, oh, cool. So, Clothing, shoes, and accessories for women, um, size inclusive in both junior and plus sizes. And then we have kids' merchandise really from infants up through up through high school.
1: That's I love how you describe that. It paints a very clear picture.
2: It is. The stores are kind of, I mean, it's the treasure hunt. I mean, our prices are yeah. low every day. You know, we don't do site-wide sales. We launch lots of new styles every day. So we roughly have a hundred new styles will go live every day Wow! and a hundred things sell out. So it's a constant flow of product. So it gives the customer always something new to come back and discover. And because it's everyday low price, it's everyday free shipping, it's free returns to stores, right? It removes a lot of the friction in that shopping process.
1: Yeah, definitely. So when you say you don't have site-wide sales, does that mean no Black Friday sales or is that, what do you mean by that?
2: Yeah, it means even no Black Friday sales. Crazy. Yeah, if you think about the off-price model. So like yeah. the UK Max doesn't have a Black Friday sale either, or a Ross or a Marshalls. Yeah. So we're kind of in that segment, right? I mean, the the nice thing is our business is pretty steady 12 months a year because yeah. the knows it's a, it's a place you can come find value and not have to kind of time your purchase.
1: Yeah. And I guess if you have everyday low prices, then it, it doesn't make too much of a difference if you don't have like a one day big sale. Right. And even for your customers, too. I think it's more reliable to have everyday good prices than the other way around.
2: It tends to be. Look, we tend to be a store where people shop for themselves. It's not so much gifting. Yeah. You know, you're going out this weekend, you're going to brunch. I mean, whatever the event is and you want a new outfit, it's a place that you can pop in and get that. And again, you can get an outfit for twenty or thirty dollars to be. Awesome,
1: yeah, that's right? amazing. <laughs> and
2: be fully dressed, so that's kind of the power of rainbow.
1: That is the dream, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, as you're in your role and in your experience as a marketer, what are some of the things that you have, you know, experienced and some of the common threads that you've seen through your career in in marketing?
2: Wow. So I've been doing this a long time. I guess you know. Change is always a factor. Technology is always a factor. You know, being able to adapt, you know, I think it requires, I mean, I think I was lucky. If I look at my career, I spent the first kind of third of my career doing consulting, spent the middle third building one of the early price comparison websites on the internet, right? And then kind of the last third's been spent in retail. And with that background, because we did the, we did internet businesses so long ago, right? You had to wear all the hats and you had to program everything. So having a better understanding of how things fundamentally work, I think has been helpful as time has gone on. So why things sometimes look new, you know, when you really dig down, this is something that we've seen before and it gives a certain insight that um, that others might not have.
1: Yeah. I, I can't imagine what it was like building the first price comparison website back in the day? Like, I feel like those are things that are just have, you know, picked up speed. I feel like in the last few years.
2: Well, I mean, you know, so price comparison really started, we launched price scan, I guess it was early 97. So we would have started working on it back in 96. So this stuff's been around a long time, you know, it was done much differently back then. And again, this is a, it's, you know, I'll tell you the story. You know, it went from in the very early days, we sold eyeballs. So we sold ad impressions that changed to cost per click. You know, we did price comparison before before Google existed. And so we saw the whole CPC kind of advertising market, you know, grow from the beginning. And, you know, again, we were one of Google's largest advertisers at the time. So, of course, that catches their attention and they clearly see the price comparison is a space they want to be in. And we knew they would use their, you know, their monopoly in other areas to essentially price that piece out. We then pivoted and we created financial indexes based on changes in retail prices. The whole engine we had built to be able to collect prices on all kinds of things, you know, similar to a, you know, a farmer doesn't put a seed of corn into the ground without knowing what they can sell it for, right? I mean, they're, they're looking at what the future price of corn is um, when they decide what they're going to plant this year really the same thing we thought should have been available in the tech space so before somebody builds a new chip fab before somebody builds a new flat panel tv plant whatever it is you should be able to hedge the future price of those things we had built financial indexes together with bloomberg and we're kind of marching down the road to do you know to have an exchange to, to trade derivatives based on changes in retail, retail prices the 2007 meltdown happened and that was kind of the end of that so yeah and, and took that as an opportunity to take, you know, I'd done the price comparison business for almost 14 years and, and took that experience to, to kind of pivot into, into now sitting on the retailer side. And because we had really watched retail, you know, online retail grow literally from the very beginning, you know, kind of took what I learned and then and, and, and tried to apply it to the other side.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, having worked in both the advertising space and now the retail space as well, what do you think is, I guess, one of the biggest challenges that people face?
2: Look, I think the biggest challenge on both sides still remains, and it all comes down to attribution. You know, in those early days, people, you know, we would talk to advertisers all the time, and they would try to argue that advertising on Price Scan wasn't worth it. You know, we would essentially say, then, okay, then we'll take you down. And sometimes they would, you know, call that bluff and and ask to come down. And then like three days later, we get a phone call saying we need to come back up. So, you know, we run shut off tests of online advertising to this day. And I think sometimes that's the only way to kind of feel the attribution is to see what happens when you turn something off. (laughs) Do you feel, you know, do you feel a loss of business that's great enough that justifies what you spend on it? But, you know, even from the very early days of the internet, trying to prove what happened and what it's, what the true, you know, additional value that is, it's been hard and it's really never been solved.
1: Yeah, that's true. I had never thought of that as, you know, from that perspective of if you don't know whether your ad spends are working, why don't you turn them off and see what <laughs> happens?
2: And again, you know people get scared. I mean, look, you know people know it's worth something. They can't yeah. figure out what it's worth. You know, generally what the person you're buying the advertising from is going to overstate, but not in every case, right? And if you look at the attribution that every ad platform gives you, your business would be 5 or 10 times bigger than it really is, right? So we all know there are issues or problems with that attribution. And so then the, the, the game is, you know, how do we find a way to to even that out, to come to something that that makes more sense and something we can use to kind of drive where we spend money and where we don't. And that kind of leads into, you know, kind of one of the latest things that, that we've started to play with to try to answer that question are post-purchase surveys. So Interesting. getting data getting zero party data directly from the customer after the purchase. So when we ask, and I guess I should back up, right? We're on the Shopify platform. These things are really easy to do on Shopify. There There are several apps out there that let you do this with ease, but we can literally segment and ask one question to a new customer who's never bought from us before and ask a different question to a repeat customer who has been there. And we're asking, you know, where did you hear about us? Or if you're a repeat customer, what brought you back to the site today? And being able to include kind of all the sources of traffic that we know and getting the answer directly from the user in terms of what they think brought them there today. And then kind of as another layer, we get to see what the what the UTM parameters are in Google that correspond to that. And you start to realize how noisy the GA data is. So a customer tells you they came because they saw Facebook yet the GA attribution says Google Direct.
1: Right. And so I guess one of my questions, I guess a follow-up question is when you're doing these post-purchase survey, is it just always one question? And does that ever change over time? Or is it just consistently you're asking that one question in two segments?
2: We ask lots of different questions. So we ask the, so if you're a new customer, we want to know what drove you. And we only ask that, you know, we keep asking the question until you answer it. (laughs) And we get, you know, generally about a third of the time we get an answer. So the response rate is pretty high.
1: That's pretty good, yeah.
2: On the what brought you here today for the repeat purchase, we ask that after every purchase. And the response rate on that's approaching 50%. So it is interesting. Like customers want to give you feedback when you make it easy. And that data is just immensely valuable. It becomes a check on any other way you calculate attribution or you know whatever kind of accounting you're gonna to do to try to figure out what's working or not, listening to the voice of the customer and what they're telling you. And we're now doing like an adjusted ROAS. So we're taking return on ad spend that we get from from the platform. We're looking what we see in Google Analytics, and now we're looking at what we get from the post-purchase survey and using that as kind of a check on on the whole process. And then we also ask questions around, you know, we're now trying to make decisions about shipping going into 2023, you know, do customers want the ability to be able to pick up a package at a rainbow store rather than have it shipped to their home? Maybe you live in a building where there's not a secure place to drop a package off and your package gets stolen, right? And so the hassles on that, you know, puts the customer, makes the customer jump through lots of hoops. And in many times, you know, they're walking past a rainbow and would much rather come in the store and be able to pick up that package, right? So to be able to get that kind of feedback. So before we make an investment in coding and building out a bunch of infrastructure, we want to know, do they want to pick it up at a rainbow store? Do they want to pick it up like at a FedEx drop location? You know, do they want us to ship it to their house? So as things like that. We ask questions around what product categories are they interested in? So again, in our case, we're selling you know, clothing for women in both you know, junior and plus sizes. You know, the, the fastest way to lose a customer is to have a customer that's looking for plus and show them junior product or vice versa. Right? And so now directly asking somebody will enable us to do personalization, literally based on what they're telling us. We're not guessing, we're not trying to see some signal and and guess at what they may or may not be interested in. We're asking them directly. And then using that data to, to really, you know, customize the experience to what they're telling us they want it to be.
1: Is that still part of the post-purchase survey? Because I know I've seen those types of questions at the beginning, like when I first go onto a company's website and then they ask me, you know, if I'm male or female, what type of clothes I've, or what type of products I'm looking for, whether it's like clothes, accessories, et cetera. So is it at the same kind of timing?
2: These are all post-purchase. Post-purchase great. And the reason for that is at that purchase event is the first time we actually know who the person is we're talking to.
1: Yeah, true.
2: Right? So in Shopify, for example, that customer record is available. So those survey answers get attached to that customer record. So it's permanent, you know, zero-party data that we have to do lots of things with after that. We do have interest in putting surveys, you know, like on the homepage, but the problem there is it's, you can't identify the person, harder to identify. Do you keep asking the same person, the same question once they've answered it, right? Cause now you've got a cook, you're going to have to go to like a cookie based approach. It gets far, far noisier to do that. I mean, not that there's not some value there, but post purchases, that's a customer that just spent money with you, right? They're mm-hmm. a real customer. And not that those answers should be worth more, but it's clearly something that, you know, we want to pay attention to. We also ask questions around like, you know, what's their, you know, what's their primary social platform? You can do things like we just turned a question on today. Do you follow us on Instagram? Just as a way that, you know, maybe that's as subtle as they answer the question that think I don't, and maybe I should, right? There's lots of interesting things you can do in that moment that kind of furthers the, the relationship between the customer and the brand.
1: And would you say that it takes a certain amount of time to get to that point? Or is this something that you start seeing the results from pretty quickly?
2: Almost immediately. Like when you turn a question on, I mean, the next checkout gets that question. So you're going to start to see data. I mean, depending upon what your volume is, but you're going to start to see real data almost instantly.
1: That's interesting. Especially when you said, I think there was a 30% response rate. Being able to have that immediately, I can imagine is quite valuable.
2: It is. And, you know, we will look at things on a weekly basis. And again, we're trying to compare, we look at the retail week, you know, after the fact, and we're trying to compare what we get post-purchase with what we get in other areas to see how closely do they line up. And if they don't line up, does it lend, you know, does it give us an idea maybe how we should adjust something?
1: Right. And is the other areas that you're talking about, like your Google Analytics and your Shopify, for example?
2: Those two, I mean, again, you know, what stats we get from Meta, you know, so when we're advertising on, on Facebook and Instagram, right, they give us lots of data, but they're, they're seeing things just from, you know, just with their blinders on. And in a world where, you know, cookies and their ability to track people across different apps has gotten, you know, it's gotten less, us being able to ask that question directly to the customer and get the answer directly from them. Nothing kind of interferes with that. And we feel in some ways, I mean, look, if right at the time of purchase, if the customer can't tell you what drove them there, then maybe that advertising that you did, you know, wasn't worth what you thought it was.
1: <laughs> That'll do it, yeah.
2: it should be memorable enough that, that at that point somebody can, can recall it for you.
1: Yeah, you're right. If I can't remember, if I saw an Instagram ad, then it probably wasn't a very good
2: one. Right. We're not asking you what ad you saw, right? Yeah. Where, you know, what drove you? What, what suggested that you should come?
1: Yeah.
0: What if you could provide all of your consumers the most relevant digital experience? With predictive personalization at the heart of your digital marketing strategy, you can build meaningful relationships with consumers and grow your business quickly. Brainify's AI-driven platform can help you at any stage of your personalization journey. Whether you're looking to collect data, optimize customer journeys, or curate predictive personalized experiences. Using one line of code, Brainify integrates with any marketing tool you already use in just two weeks. Ready to learn more about creating personalized digital consumer experiences? Connect with us at brainify.ai.
1: And so would you say that your post purchase survey compared to some of the other tools that you mentioned has become like your source of truth? Like do you use that to calibrate?
2: So what we're now doing is we're taking the ROAS that we would have normally reported and then we're doing it we're doing a post purchase survey version of ROAS. Okay. So we're taking what customers tell us drove them, using that to calculate how much revenue they drove dividing that by the you know the expense of the of the platform to calculate that kind of adjusted roas and we see you know our experience so far with meta is meta they over attribute right so they take more credit than what we see we see google on branded of course takes more and on un- unbranded takes less we think that right and so It's changing as we decide where we're gonna allocate our next marketing dollar, where it goes. The other thing we've been able to, and as we've played with this over time, if we increase advertising on one platform versus the other, we can see an almost immediate effect in the post-purchase survey. Right. Right, so if we take dollars from one platform to, to another or we just increase one relative to where the others are, we start to immediately look to see, can we see it post-purchase? And if not, we get nervous about whether it's having any impact or not.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think that there are, you know, because obviously you work in the fashion and apparel industry, and I would imagine that a post-purchase survey is something extremely valuable for anyone in the e-commerce space. But do you think that there's value to other industries to doing something like this as well like let's say you have a have a website which is not just which is not really selling anything but it's like a recipe page for example. do you think that the same kind of benefits could be seen in other formats?
2: Look I think if you're serving a customer or user whether you're selling them something you're, you're providing a service um, that you want them to come back and engage with more. Being able to get directly from a user, somebody who's on your website, this is somebody you're guessing at, this is somebody who spent lots of time and effort on your website, to be able to hear from them, you know, what they're thinking, how they feel about your brand or how they felt about the experience on the store, you know, we haven't even talked about like conversion rate optimization things you can do out of this, right, in terms of asking what made you almost not buy or what, what got in your way, you know, how easy was the, you know, rate, how easy the experience was. There's lots of things that we can add. I mean, think about what happens if you were doing this in the real world. Okay. Whether you, you know, whether it's a bookstore, whether you're selling food, whether you're selling clothing, it doesn't really matter, right? You're going to talk to customers all the time and you're going to want to ask them how they feel, how they heard about you, you know, you're going to look at their face. How was their experience? Do they seem to be happy? Are they having some, are they in distress? You know, the more of that feedback you can get and then take action on it, right. The better product you're ultimately going to provide.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I hadn't really thought about it in the context of like doing something that you would do online offline as well. And the impact is the same. I guess, maybe just a little bit more measurable and can be done more at scale online.
2: You know, it's, it's, it, you know, this kind of fits into that whole, you know, there was there was for a while, people were really hot on net promoter scores or NPS scores, right? Where you have the scale of zero to nine and you ask people, you know, how they feel about the brand or would they would they recommend you, whatever. It's amazing what data you can get from that. And then as you watch how it changes over time, And if you're not happy with your score and you start to take things that you hope will turn it around, being able to see almost in real time whether those things are working or not, you know, like, I don't know, you know, it's very hard to optimize, grow, improve your business without that kind of feedback. It's kind of amazing. You know, it all seems so simple and straightforward now. I'm surprised it took us as long as it did to kind of get there.
1: Yeah. That's true. I guess the real value is, as you said, being able to do it in real time and being able to do it consistently. Because I feel that when a lot of those like, you know, the brand awareness surveys and those types of surveys happen, they happen, you know, once and then they'll happen six months later with no real touch points in between. But being able to do something like this, it's like, as you said, every time someone buys something, you're doing it.
2: And look, and I think the customer appreciates the fact that we want to hear what their experience is, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. I mean, it shows that we care, right? And the fact that we really do listen and we do take actions based on what they tell us, right? Let's, there's the old saying that every day, you just try to improve 1%. And if you can improve 1% every day, those little those little improvements really add up over time.
1: Yeah, and I think for me as well, as you were saying, for as a customer maybe I won't do it the first time and I'll be like, okay, this probably not going to make a difference if I don't do it. But if you keep asking me, I'll definitely do it.
2: Yeah. Look, we are very fortunate to have customers that repeat purchase on a pretty regular basis. So like I think they're, you know, they've got some investment in the brand and you know,
1: what are some of the patterns that you're seeing with your customers that came out of the post-purchase survey?
2: I mean, I think we're surprised. Like when we ask what social media platform you most active on, you know, there's some, you know, if you listen to the rest of the world, you would think it's all TikTok, yeah. you know, and we're seeing, you know, 60 plus percent is still Facebook. You know, we see some shift to Instagram over time and TikTok is growing, but it's still a pretty small piece, right? So as we try to figure out like in our content creation efforts, where do we put time? Where do we invest resources in creating content? And as we do more content on a given platform, does it start to change with what we see post purchase in terms of, you know, our customers, do they find it impactful or not? Right? It's, it's, a, it's a super powerful tool.
1: Yeah. Everybody's always surprised that people still use Facebook, but there's a reason why it's still the largest ad platform on social.
2: <laughs> it is. It is. Yes. The, de- the death of Facebook has been greatly exaggerated.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah, so true. So I guess we've talked a lot about the benefits and the and the successes that you've had with um, with post purchase surveys in terms of attribution. Are there still any challenges that you're still facing with attribution?
2: Look, I mean I've been dealing with marketing attribution for I don't know 30 years, like so I don't expect it to ever really be solved. Yeah. I think it's something we try to get better with, you know, over time and sometimes we make a couple steps forward and a couple steps backwards. You know, I think clearly what's happening around privacy is going to reset the table again, right? We had gotten way over reliant on cookies and being able to again, didn't not really from our side of the table, but you, you think about what The amount of data Facebook was able to capture that they're no longer able to clearly will have an impact on their ability to target. And so, you know, I think having a direct customer relationship where they directly talk to us, that's never going to be something that a third party can get in the middle of. Right. So I think ultimately that's where this has to go. So we'll see. And I think it's kind of a more permanent thing, like, you know, I scratch my head to think of what would replace that, right? Mm -hmm. If you had the ability to literally speak to every customer, like if you could do that at scale and record that information, right, in a way that you could take action on it, what data would be better that would replace that? Nothing. (laughs) So that's kind of how we've gotten here, right? It's interesting. I'm still puzzled that it took us so long. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, some of these things, we were on Demandware, Salesforce, Commerce Cloud for probably 10 years before we moved to Shopify. These things are very easy to do on Shopify, they were not as easy to do on Salesforce. So that is also part of it. I think the more modern platforms have enabled these things to be done in an easy way. These tools are very inexpensive. You know, people spend, you know, multiple five six figure sums doing attribution. You know, this is something that maybe it's a four-figure sum, it's a pretty small amount of money to be able to directly get this kind of feedback. So,
1: Do you think that people are already starting to take advantage of these types of features, or do you think it, it's something that might take some time?
2: I think as, as cookies start to, look, cookies aren't going to disappear, but we're going to have less and less of them, and they're going to be shorter and shorter, That almost out of necessity, I think it's going to drive things like post-purchase survey. When you don't have these other crutches that we've all leaned on for so long, this will be the piece that's left that maybe you hadn't tried before. But because other things are getting shut off and you don't have those options, it's going to be something you try. I mean, look, if I had heard this story, you know, years ago, I would have done this a long time ago. Like a lot of things in the world, they all seem obvious and simple after you hear about them. (laughs) But, you know not so easy to come up with them in the first place.
1: Yeah. I guess timing does play an important factor, right? Like depending on what tools that you're using, what budgets you have, et cetera. All right. Well, as we kind of wrap up our conversation, do you have any advice for, for people that are listening?
2: I mean, other than, you know, I think I beat the post-purchase survey <laughs> here. Look, I think it's, you know, Any advice? I think it's, you know, you should always be open. You know, we take lots and lots of calls from lots of new vendors. Most of them don't pan out, right? But we, you need to constantly listen for the new story, the new angle, something you haven't heard or haven't tried before. And don't be afraid to run experiments. We run lots and lots of experiments and we expect that the majority of them will fail. Right, The whole game is being able to make small enough bets when you do these experiments that let you try enough things to find what the real winners are that really drive your business.
1: True. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for that. It was lovely to have you and so great to hear about your experiences. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this definitely have some something they can go try out now, if nothing else.
2: All right. Very good. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye.
1: Thanks, David. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Conventional Marketing, a Brainify podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and share it. To learn more about creating delightful digital experiences, join us for the next conversation.